Well, good evening and welcome to New Hope Hilo. This is a part of service where we get to honor our Lord with our tithes and offerings. So if you're just visiting for the first time, please accept this service as a gift. But if you get to call New Hope your home church, then please participate with us as we do this. You know, I'm so grateful for this church that we get to assemble and come together. We had over eight weeks of um, special guest services that participated at the Foursquare Convention. We had a SALT conference, and we have uh, practicum coming up, and we have all these events coming up. But the best part about this church is how we get to come together in fellowship. The word says, do not forsake the fellowship. And we have a God that we relate to as a father. So myself, I'm a father of three. I'm a grandfather of 10. And I love it when the kids come over and they fellowship at home. It's an exciting time. Just like this is an exciting time to worship our heavenly father and just be together with him. And it's, it's the best part of church, I think, where we get to call each other's brothers and sisters and encourage each other. And we get to meet throughout the week. We have Rooted and Growing that has a lot of different small groups happening. And there's so many different things that just come out of this church because of the faithful servants of who we are, our body. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for all the hearts that we have to be in one family with you, Lord. Uh, I just ask that you just receive this offering as a time to open our hearts to you, to, be, uh, to bless you with all that you've given us. But Lord, I just take this offering and use it to further your kingdom, one relationship at a time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And... You know, since you like the kids coming over, two are coming on Friday. I know. <laughs> okay. So, hello. Welcome to New Hope, and welcome to those of you online. And tonight, we're going to get to talk a little bit about the God who sees. And I was thinking about that, and um, I, we have 10 grandkids, and like, like my husband said, he, he enjoys when they come over and visit. And we have this house that's more of a home, so they do, like, really crazy things inside the house. So sometimes all 10 of them, and their parents will play hide-and-seek, which is a lot of fun because we've got, um, we've got a senior, well, we've got one in college, and then we have a two-year-old grandson. So it's fun to watch because the older kids, they're bigger, and they can't fit in a lot of places, but they're really smart and wise, and so they can hide in really ingenious spots. Then the smaller kids, they can fit anywhere, but they don't understand hide and seek, so they hide in obvious spots, and then they usually get found. So one night, we're watching the kids play, and the three-year-old kept getting found because she hides in obvious places. So we decided to help her out, and we hid her in plain sight. So while all the kids were hiding and the counter was counting, we picked her up and we stuck her on the counter between the refrigerator and the microwave and underneath the cupboard. And then Tom was sitting on the um, chair where he could see her, so every time somebody would come by, she'd go, shh, shh, because they'd always giggle, right, and give themselves away. And then, shh, 
And for once, she didn't get found, but you could just see the anticipation in her. She's like, this is not the way it works. So they're walking by the kitchen, and all of a sudden she yells, ah, you found me. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how it works. You don't want to be found. But for Ava, the whole thing with hide and seek wasn't hiding. It was being found. It was about being seen. And isn't that how it is with God? We want him to see us. We want to know that he's aware of us and that he cares. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, um, we're going to be in the book of um, Genesis. We're actually going to be in three different stories tonight, so if you want to have your Bibles and keep them open. But um, we're going to start in Genesis. Now, many of us know the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God promised them a son through who all the nations would be blessed. And we can find that conversation in Genesis 15. Abraham and Sarah's names haven't been changed by God yet, so um, they're Abram and Sarai. And so it says here, And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And so Abraham has this promise that if you could even count the stars, that's how his offspring would be counted. And this account may be familiar to many of us. What we may be less familiar with is the story of Hagar. She was Sarai's slave. And through some very unwise choices on Abram and Sarai's part, she actually gets sucked into the whole narrative. So if your Bibles are open, you can follow along, and we'll be reading in Genesis chapter 16. So it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And then Abram said, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. 
He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be, will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brother. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now let's be clear about a few things. Abram and Sarai had been promised more descendants than they could count. And when Sarai didn't see God's promise being fulfilled, she took matters into her own hands and she gave Hagar to her husband to have a baby with. And even though Abram had spoken with God and he had been clearly told that he would have his, a child of his own flesh and blood, he didn't encourage his wife to wait on God or his promise. Instead, he went along with her very foolish plan. Hagar really didn't have a choice in everything that happened, but she did have a choice in how she responded. And she responded arrogantly. Sarai blamed Abram for Hagar's poor attitude, and Abram pretty much threw in the towel and told Sarai, handle the situation any way you want. And Sarai treated Hagar so poorly that Hagar ended up fleeing. But the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Now, many scholars call this appearance of the angel of the Lord a theophany. And a theophany is um, a manifestation of God that is tangible to the human senses. In most restrictive sense, it is a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament period, but not always in human form. So when she's talking to the angel of the Lord, she's talking to God. And when he found her, she was experiencing one of the worst moments in her life. She felt things that were so bad, she had to flee. She might have been feeling unwanted, unappreciated, used, victimized, probably unloved, and definitely unseen. Yet she wasn't unseen. God saw her. Genesis says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running from my mistress Sarai, she answered. See, God didn't just notice Hagar hiding by a spring. He didn't just happen to turn around and, oh, wow, look, look who's here. He found her. He called her by name. He called her by her position. He asked her where she came from, and he asked her where she was going. And God didn't ask those questions because he didn't know the answer. God knew the answer to the questions he asked. He knew why she was there. He knew she had no other plans. He knew that she was running from something, but she wasn't running to something. But God also knew that she had a future. And in order for her to move toward her future, Hagar needed to face her past and her decisions. Now, she may have been innocent in Sarai, Sarai and Abram's actions towards her, but she was complicit in her own response and her attitude towards Sarai, and she needed to own her part in the whole situation. 
So after telling God she was running from Sarai, God sent her back, gave her instructions on how to respond to Sarai, and gave Hagar a promise of her own. And at the end of the conversation, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Can you imagine how she felt? She felt so unloved and so victimized, and all of a sudden, she realizes that God saw her. And Hagar was changed by knowing that she saw the God who sees her. So here are three things that we can look forward to when we know that God sees us. And if you're taking notes, you can write, he removes our shame. Now, after God spoke to Hagar, she felt seen and she felt noticed. He gave her instruction and he gave her a vision. She was to go back to Sarai and submit because God was going to increase her descendants so much that she wouldn't be able to count them. And she returned home. She didn't go back as a victim of other people's wrong motives and decisions. She went back as a woman with a promise. Can we be clear? I'm going to say this. If you're in an abusive situation right now, I'm no way saying to go back or stay in that because I want you to be safe. But in this moment, this was a unique situation where God intervened and he gave her instructions. And just because she went back, it doesn't mean everything worked out perfectly for her afterwards. There continued to be hostility between Sarai and Hagar, but now she had a hope for her future. And after her encounter with God, Hagar had a sense of confidence in who she was because she had seen the God who sees her. Her shame was removed. She was no longer a victim. She was empowered to obey God by the promise that he gave her. And she knew she was not forgotten. She was not unimportant. She was seen. And she had a story. And Adam and Eve had the same type of experience with God. After they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were so ashamed that they hid from God. But God didn't let them stay hidden. He looked for them. And in Genesis 3.9, we hear, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? And that's what God does to us. We do things and we want to stay hidden. And God says, where are you? He looks for us. And Adam and Eve had a conversation with God, and there were, and there still are, consequences to their choices. But they were not left unseen. After they'd been sent out of the Garden of Eden, Eve gave birth to a son. And you know what she said? She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So even though they could no longer live in Eden, Eve recognized that they were not abandoned. God was still aware and still very present in their lives. With God's help, she brought forth a son. She wasn't abandoned. She was seen. She still had a future. And knowing that God sees us not only removes our shame, but it also elevates our status. And you can write that in number two. He elevates our status. So if your Bibles or apps are still out, we're going to go to Luke 19. But as you do, I'm going to tell you a quick story. In 2012, a young girl named Whitney Krupp 
was picked to be the sophomore representative for the high school homecoming court. court. The problem was that her classmates intended that to be a very cruel joke. They were mocking her. They thought, hey, this is supposed to be a popularity vote, so wouldn't it be funny, ha ha, if the most unpopular person in school won this? And after she found out that this was meant to mock her, she said, I feel like trash. I feel like I'm this little thing that no one cares about. Well, the good news is she overcame. The town surrounded her. Someone provided the dress. Someone else provided shoes. Someone else provided hair and a makeover. And she decided instead of being mocked and made fun of, she was going to get back at all those who tried to make fun of her. And she went to the um, homecoming dance, and she had a great time. And just now when I told that story, all of us had this feeling like, man, kids can be so cruel. But unfortunately, we adults don't do much better. So in the New Testament, we're going to hear about Zacchaeus. And it says here, Jesus entered Jericho and, he was, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the house of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he wasn't appreciated by his community. Tax collectors were often seen by the Jews as working for the Romans, so they were very hated. They were seen as traitors, as turncoats to their own countrymen. Rather than fighting the Roman oppressors like all the other Jews, the tax collectors were helping them. And not only were they helping the Roman oppressors, but they were getting rich off of their fellow Jewish people. So Zacchaeus was not liked or welcomed in his community. But when he heard that Jesus was in town, he wanted to see him. But he knew how the community felt about him. They hated the very sight of him. So he knew that he wouldn't be welcome in the crowd. He'd heard their comments. He experienced their hate. Add to that that he was short, and he knew that he would have a difficult time seeing over the crowd. But he wanted to see Jesus. So he ran ahead and he climbed in a tree so that he could be where Jesus was when he walked by. But Jesus turned the tables on him. Not only did Zacchaeus get to see Jesus, but Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And he didn't just pass by. 
He made a point of speaking to him. And he took an extra step and invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. And that riled up the crowd, and the crowd did what many of us did, would do. It's like, what? Wait, whoa. Do you know who this guy is? Do you know what he's done? He doesn't even deserve to have you talking to him, and now you're going to his house? Luke says they began to mutter. He's gone to the house of a sinner? Well, can we be a little bit honest with ourselves? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want you to just think through today, just today. Have you muttered today? Was there anyone today that you wrote off as unimportant or not valuable because of something in their past, because of something they're doing, because of a personality trait that you don't appreciate? Or was there a moment or two today where you felt less than? You felt not appreciated? You felt unwanted? Maybe like Whitney in the story that we heard earlier, you feel like this little thing that nobody cares about. See, people may see our past They'll see our failures. They'll see our differences. And they'll pass over us. But God sees our true value. He sees us as he created us to be. And he sees the future that he planned for us. The people grumbled and muttered that Jesus was going to spend time with a tax collector. But Jesus didn't see a tax collector or a traitor. He saw something bigger. He saw value, and he saw a future. He saw Zacchaeus. Luke 19 says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to his house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And while what the people saw was a tax collector, an enemy of the Jews, a collaborator with the enemy, Jesus saw a son of Abraham. See, God's vision of us is not limited by what we've done or what we're doing. His vision encompasses everything that he created us to be. King David wrote in the Psalms 139, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. Before a single day had passed, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. Imagine this. Before we were even born, God saw every day that we would live, and he recorded them. Before a moment passed, each moment was already laid out before him. And God doesn't turn away from us or reject us. Not at all. His thoughts about us are precious. They're not fleeting thoughts that pass by so quickly that they're forgotten. In fact, there's so many of his thoughts towards us, they can't be counted. The bottom line is God thinks about you all the time. And knowing that God sees us, it empowers us by removing our shame 
It elevates our status. And finally, it humbles us. And we can turn to our Bibles to the book of Genesis, um, chapter 39. And we're actually going to see probably the best example of living a life in such a way when God sees us that our light shines. And Joseph lived this life that reflected the confidence and humility that comes from being seen by God. He was one of 12 sons born to Jacob. He was the favorite of his father, and because of Jacob's obvious favoritism, he was the least liked between the brothers. In fact, they were so jealous of him, and they resented him so much that they decided to rid themselves of their own brother by selling him into slavery. Joseph was rejected and sold by his brothers, but he was not unseen by God. Throughout his story, the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph. It didn't matter how bad the circumstances looked, Joseph was never alone and never unseen. The Lord was with Joseph. And at the end of his story, he ends up being second in command in all of Egypt, reunited with his family, but he had a journey through slavery to get there. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 39, starting in 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my, ba- my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? For Joseph, it wasn't a matter of right or wrong. It wasn't even a matter of being caught. He would not move his character and his integrity out of alignment with who God is, or who God called him to be. That's why he responded, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He understood that by the world's standards, he had everything. He was the most important of all the servants. Potiphar completely trusted him, and he had access to almost everything. He had complete freedom, and all of that did not matter if he moved 
out of alignment with God's character. Like Joseph, we need to live so closely aligned with God and with his character because he's building his image and his integrity in us. The Apostle Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, God sees us, and he's daily transforming us into his image. Now, knowing that God sees us frees us to be continuously molded into the character and image of God. He's constantly moving in our lives. You know, this Monday, um, I was sitting in the office, and I was actually putting this message together, and I was typing on my computer, and I, um, I actually tracked some packages, so the, um, I'll get a thing across that says your package is delivered or it's in transit. And I'm typing on my computer, and this message comes across, and it said that the carrier had attempted delivery, but had no access to the front door or the gate. And I was sitting there, I'm going, I can see out the window, and nobody, I didn't see anything. We had volunteers, um, they were volunteering in the parking lot and the garden, and I, the gate is open. So I'm wondering, how in the world is it that you said that somebody came to deliver this package when nobody came in the driveway? And it was a book I'd wanted to read, so I was a little miffed, so I went on the website where you can complain, and I started filling in all the things. And then it said, you know, make your comment. So I went in and I copy and pasted the part that said, attempted delivery, but no access to the front gate and the door. And I pasted that in and I said, I find this funny because I'm sitting in my office, looking out the window, the gate is open, and I never saw a mail truck. And as I'm typing it, I heard this voice. And I want you to know something. I don't always hear voices in my head. <clears throat> but when I do, and I, it's my voice, I know it's my voice because my voice is snarky. The voice that I heard brought correction, and it was gentle. So I'm pretty sure it was God. And as I'm typing and ready to send this snarky remark, what I hear is, are you really going to read that book tonight? And I'm like, well... No, not really, because I have about five other books that I actually need to read. And then right after that was, and have you not been sitting at home at around 8 o'clock when you've seen the mail truck drive by still delivering mail? I'm like, oh, man. And then the last thing, it was like the hammer, right? Like, the package is being delivered to New Hope. Do you want to be that church? Do you want to be that person? And I'm like, man, not really. So I didn't send the email. I deleted it. And here's what I think. I think God saw me. And I saw, he saw my frustration. He saw my move into snarkiness. And he brought me back into alignment with his character. And he brought me back into who he's forming me to be. And he gave me the third point for this message. Because I thought, man, he challenged me to be humble in my response, so you guys all get that now. That's why we have number three about being humble. And I was feeling pretty good about myself, because I didn't email that complaint. 
Well, on Tuesday, I'm back in the office, finishing up, tweaking the message and all that, and this message comes across, and it says, your package has been delivered. So I'm really glad that I didn't, you know, email the other one. And I went outside, and there are two packages, and I looked, and neither one of them were mine. So I said, okay, well, maybe they put it somewhere else. So I went to Joanne, who was volunteering in the front office, and I said, Joanne, is my package in the other room? And she goes, no, those are the only two that came. And I said, really? Because it says that my package got delivered. So I went back in and I checked, and it said, package handed to resident. And I went, hmm. So I go back out and, you sure that nothing came? And she said, no. So I went back in, opened up the website, and started to type. And I'm like, you're not this person. You're not this person. God's created you to be better than that. So I closed it down, and I went back to tweaking the message. And then today, guess what came in? The package. Here's the thing. Knowing that God sees me, and he wants to align my character with his, slowed my roll, and it kept me from doing something that I really shouldn't do. And being seen by God in this matter is not the same as when we tell our kids that Santa Claus is watching them to see who's naughty and nice. That's a wrong view of God. Living out of the confidence that God sees us is more about measuring our character and our integrity to who God is, to who he's called us to be, and then treating other people out of God's character and his integrity. It's about being shaped daily more and more into his image. That's why I never got to email my complaint. It's not that I don't want to be that person, but it's because of God's presence and his power. And because God sees me, I'm not that person. God knows us, and he sees us as he created us to be. King David acknowledged how well God knows us. In Psalm 139, he says, you scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. See, God sees us. He sees everything that we do. He sees when we're resting. He sees when we're busy doing things. He sees everything that we're doing, and it's not a surprise. He's intimately acquainted. He knows exactly what we're doing, and he knows why we're doing what we're doing, and he knows the heart behind it. God sees you. You are not unnoticed or unappreciated. You're not who others say you are. You're who God says you are. You are being shaped daily into his image and his integrity. You're seen. God saw Hagar, and it changed her direction. He saw Zacchaeus, and it elevated his status. He saw Joseph, and it helped him to stay the course and allow God to continue to grow his character in him. And as we walk out of here tonight, you get to choose how knowing that God sees you is going to help you step into your future. 
And what I pray is that every single one of us, just like Hagar, will be able to say, I have seen the one who sees me. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you that all of our ways are before you and that you still choose to love us. Thank you that you have created us in your image and that you are daily shaping us and molding us into your image. And so, Lord God, we pray that as we walk out of here, that we would be different, that we would impact our community because you see us. And Lord, may the fact that you see us help us to live in such a way that the people that we encounter, the people that we talk to, would know that they're seen, that they're seen by the God who sees them. And we pray that through us, that they will see you. We pray this all in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go out of here, but what I want to do is ask you to stand, and we're going to continue praising God, and we're going to declare that because of who he is and because he sees us, we're never going to stop singing. Amen.